Um, And this morning I'm going to be reading from Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in the bed and the demon gone. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome again. Uh, I'm Travis. Uh, I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are continuing our series uh, in the Gospel of Mark that I've been calling Meeting the Real Jesus. Uh, We've been going through some selected passages that are helping us see who Jesus is on his own terms. Uh, Not the Jesus in the way that we might like to think of him, not particularly with uh, certain cultural understandings or maybe historical lenses and perspectives that we might bring to it, but the Jesus as he is revealed to us in Scripture. Uh, so that we might know him as he really is and not somehow in the process end up rejecting a Jesus who doesn't exist and so missing out on something or putting our hope in a Jesus that's not real either and and putting our hope in a God that's too small to help us with the world that we face. Today we're going to be focusing on a Jesus whose ways of interacting with us uh, can be surprising, unexpected, maybe even shocking. We see a Jesus who can actually challenge us in this passage in some unexpected ways. And I want us to see how Jesus' challenges are meant to invite you actually closer in. They are not meant to push you away. They are meant to be a nudge, an opportunity, an invitation to actually come closer in. But our text this morning, which is certainly challenging and shows Jesus issuing some challenges, is a complicated text uh, that's difficult to unwind. It brings up some natural questions for us, like, did Jesus really just respond to this woman's heartfelt request for healing with what feels like a refusal? Did he do that? Did Jesus refer to this seemingly uh, non-Israelite woman as some kind of dog to Jesus do that. I hope to clear these things up a bit as we go through the text together in our time this morning, but through that to encounter a savior that is actually greater, more inviting and more endearing than we might expect at first glance. A savior who can both love us and challenge us at the same time. Uh, To see that Jesus, I want us to look at three things in classic Presbyterian fashion this morning. Uh, The setup to the conversation between Jesus and this woman, the nature of their exchange, their conversation, 
and then the posture of faith. So the setup to the conversation, the conversation itself, and then finally the posture of faith. Before we do that, I invite you to, to bow your heads and pray with me and let's invite God to be present with us. God, we come before you now bringing our hearts to you, opening ourselves up just as we have opened up your word that you have given to us uh, to be read by it as much as we would read it ourselves. God, would you read us now? Would you read our hearts? May we be an open book before you with all of our fears, frustrations, our hesitations, our anxieties, our joys, our hopes. God, would you meet us in these things? Would you read our souls as only you can? And would you challenge us, invite us into something more than we might have expected walking in here this morning? And may we, in fact, leave with something more of you. Would you do that now just by your grace and your great love? It's in your son's name and by your Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, jumping right into the beginning, the setup of the conversation, we need to wind back the clock a little bit. We are in Mark chapter 7. It's sort of the midst of Mark chapter 7. Jesus' public ministry has been ongoing for a while. He's been doing a lot. He's been healing a lot. He's been going a lot of places. He's been doing a lot of teaching. Jesus, at this point, even several chapters before this point, is tired. He is in need of rest. And as a result of all that's been happening to him because of his ministry, right, all the miraculous things he's been doing, the teaching that's unlike any teaching that Israel has ever heard before, Jesus is getting more and more famous. Despite his best efforts, as if you read the book, Gospel of Mark, uh, despite his best efforts to keep things on a quieter level, his fame, his popularity is growing. So that means that Jesus needs rest more deeply and he has fewer opportunities to go anywhere where he's not recognized, where he can actually just rest and not be on call, not be on duty, not have people say, hey, that's Jesus, and then have a crowd come running to him. And so Jesus is in need of this kind of private downtime, like any of us might need, right? Maybe some of the introverts in the house can say a hearty amen to that, that you need your private downtime. And some of us extroverts are like, what? Where are the people? I need my people. Uh, that's not to say that Jesus is extrovert or introvert, but that he was just deeply tired and he needed rest. And so he leaves, actually, Israel, the place where he's become so famous, it seems to find some rest, from all that's been going on. He doesn't want to be found for a little while, if it can be possible, to just have a little break. He wants to get away. So he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which would be present-day Lebanon, to do that. He actually leaves Israel, goes outside the borders of the country to do that. That to I, in, in days of travel, when we have passports and visas, seems like, okay, great. He went through customs, no big deal, no problem. This, maybe to the original audience, to those that were following Jesus, if they had heard this, would have been shocking. This would have been deeply surprising because Israel's leaders at the time, their religious leaders, had come to view all Gentiles, that means anyone that was not by birth an Israelite, born in or of Israel, saw all those people, which would be the majority of us here, as ritualistically unclean, as people that, if you came into contact with them, would defile you. Just spending time with them 
would require you to, pur- to purify yourself in order to be back in the presence of God for worship. In other words, spending time with people who weren't from Israel was not something in the common framework of the people of that day that would give you rest. It's something that would make you unclean and would give you more work to do. It would add to your list of things to do, not subtract from them, let alone imagine not just interacting with them, but going and spending time in their country, setting up shop, vacationing, as it seems Jesus is doing there. That would be a whole different level of defilement. This would be completely shocking. What are you doing, Jesus? Why would you do this to yourself? Jesus shockingly goes to a place considered unclean to find rest, and there's nothing in the text that suggests he has any problem with it. There's nothing that seems to bother him about that, and it reveals a comfort that Jesus has with the nations, with those who were not yet the people of God, that his culture didn't have. He could rest with them in a way that at least the religious leaders of his time could not rest with them, in a way that wouldn't feel for him like it was defiling, like it was unclean, like he would be out of place. He didn't have that framework. So he could rest there. I mean, imagine this. If you're thinking maybe you've been in these moments where there are things that make you uncomfortable, where if we just put unclean in different words as uncomfortable, if you're in the midst of something uncomfortable for a long time, none of us want to vacation in the uncomfortable. Some of us have had difficult family moments. Some of us have had family conflicts. Do you want to vacation in a family conflict? No. You want to get out of the family conflict to vacation. Imagine going to a place that would make you unclean as just vacationing in family conflict. You wouldn't feel comfortable there. So in order for Jesus to feel comfortable, there must not be a sense that he has of conflict if he's going to be there and find rest. So this means... And this is important for us to see for Jesus' conversation with the Syrophoenician woman, that Jesus didn't think that the people of this country that he is going to visit were any less worthy of love, dignity, or respect than the people of Israel. He actually didn't share the view of his culture. He disagreed. Which means that if we're going to follow him, there are going to be times when we don't line up with what culture's view is either. Christianity cannot be, if we are really following Jesus, always a one-to-one correlation of whatever culture says we are good with. Jesus pivots. There are going to be points where we are out of step with what culture actually says we ought to do. I can't go into that much more today, but I want to encourage you to ask yourself, What might that mean for me? In what ways am I perhaps unwilling to step out of line with culture just a little bit? In what ways am I uncomfortable with thinking that God might actually have a different view of what culture says about some things? What might that mean for me? Because Jesus didn't share their view about how you treated certain people. The only thing that actually keeps Jesus from resting in this place is not the people themselves, but the illnesses that were hurting people that were there, the illness that was hurting this woman's daughter. 
And yet Jesus had healed people in situations like this before. So why seemingly rebuff this woman's request? He had been desperately tired before. Mark chapter 4, right after the storm on the Sea of Galilee, or sorry, right prior to that, he had been so tired that Jesus can fall asleep in this cataclysmic hurricane of a storm in what was not a yacht, right? What was a smaller fishing vessel? He's so tired that he's passed out in the midst of that storm. And after miraculously calming the storm, arriving on the other side, where he had gone again to find some rest. Jesus is desperately tired. He gets through a storm. He gets on the other side. He wants to rest. And what happens? In that next moment, he meets the infamously demon-possessed man, and Jesus heals him there. So Jesus had healed when he was tired before and when he needed rest. He had done that. There was precedent. But he doesn't right away here. If the issue then isn't that Jesus thinks this woman is unclean and won't go near her. He's gone into her country and has no problem with that. So he's going to have no problem relating to her. So if the problem isn't that he thinks she is unclean and won't go near her, and if the problem isn't that Jesus won't heal when he is tired, what is going on? What's going on in this change? Why does Jesus speak with her in this way? What's the nature of their exchange? And that brings us to our second point here. What's actually going on here is a challenge. It's a challenge from Jesus that's meant to invite a response from her, not one that is meant to put her off, but one that is meant to draw her closer, to invite her to come in if... That's really what she wants. That's what Jesus' challenges are about in our lives. They are an invitation to come near if that's really what you want. Just because Jesus maybe puts up a hand to say pause doesn't mean that he's actually telling you, no, I don't want you near me. Jesus is more complicated than we give him credit for. There may be a way in which Jesus is inviting us to see something else about ourselves, more so than just the present situation. That certainly seems to be what Jesus is doing here. And what we know is that Jesus often challenges people when he interacts with them. This is not isolated to just his interaction with this one woman. The parables of Jesus are challenges in and of themselves. We talked about that last week. Uh, They are teachings that are meant to challenge you to change your life. And in Mark 4.34, it says that Jesus did not speak to them without a parable. That's Mark's way of categorizing, saying that Jesus talked to people with parables so often you could say it's almost as if he didn't speak without using a parable, which means one of the regular ways that Jesus interacted with all sorts of people, Jewish or not, was by challenging them. This is a way that he interacts with us. Challenge. It's a fundamental way he relates to others. It's a regular way that he talks. This is not an exceptional moment. This, we could say, is in line with the way that Jesus normally operates. Sometimes he even challenged people that were asking for healing from him, not just those that were interacting with him, asking him questions, maybe challenging him, but even those that were directly asking for help in the same way that this woman was. In Mark 9, Jesus challenges the father of another child with an unclean spirit. You might be familiar with that passage. After the father explains the child's condition and says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus responds to his request not with, you got it, and a healing. He responds with a challenge. He says, if you can, 
all things are possible for those who believe. In a similar circumstance, with a parent asking for help for their child, Jesus' immediate response was not necessarily to act right away, though he does act in the end. He speaks a challenge first. He does that because that father, just like this mother, needed more than just the healing that they were after. Jesus' challenge was meant to draw something more out in them and something out for them. Jesus' challenges are meant to do the same thing with us. Do you know a Jesus who might put a hand up, might pause because he wants to bring something else out for you? Do you know a Jesus that's more than just a vending machine God? More than just when I say this, you give me that. A transactional kind of Jesus. Do you know a Jesus who can talk back to you? Who can see things that we don't see? Or do you only know one who largely agrees with you on most things? Who affirms most of the same things that you affirm? Who looks pretty much like your understanding of culture? Is that the Jesus that you have? Are you surprised, like the religious leaders would be, that at some point Jesus might not agree with you? See, I think this passage shows us that Jesus is not just an agreeable friend, though we could not ask for a better friend than we have in Jesus. He's something more than that. He's something greater than that. He is God. He is king. So at times, for the good of our own souls and for the good of the world around us, he's going to have to challenge us. He's going to have to say, what your view is is not what my view is. What you're asking is not what I am offering, not what I'm wanting for you, not what I'm directing you to. Because like the culture of his time and their view of non-Israelite people, there are going to be times where we have come to conclusions about the way that life works best that God does not agree with. And because he loves us, not because he doesn't, because he loves us, he is going to lovingly challenge us to change, to choose a different path, to have something different. So what's the challenge here then for this woman? The challenge, I believe, was to humble herself and to put her faith in God. That challenge actually comes not, as we might think it is, from the word little dogs, but from the word first in verse 27. Jesus says, first, give the bread to the children. That's actually the challenge here. The woman herself doesn't seem to be challenged by the phrase little dog because she doesn't just blow him off, walk away. The commentator suggests that the way she responds suggests she is engaging. She gets that something is happening here. So the challenge for her is not the description necessarily that we might think is the challenge. The challenge is actually the word first, which is also a very strong challenge to us, I think we're going to see as we unpack this. Because the challenge is that she may not be the first to get what she needs. The children, in Jesus' picture, are to have theirs 
first, to have their help first, to have their needs met first. Children, in Jesus' picture, are the people of Israel. That's the family chosen by God way, way back to be his people. And this family was where the problems that broke the entire world, the very problems that this mother is experiencing with her daughter's affliction were unleashed through this very family. That's where it all began. And Jesus is attending to that family. He is starting with the root of the problem where everything went wrong. He's not treating the symptoms, he's treating the root cause. He is going back to where everything went wrong. That in working through the brokenness of this family, it might work out to the rest of the entire world. There was a process that God was envisioning, working with through here and in Jesus. God is beginning that process. He is beginning the healing of the entire world where that problem started with the family of God. Those to whom he had made promises to do exactly that. Those with whom he was going to keep his promises. First, then, doesn't mean that others are excluded, that those outside of Israel would not have healing. It simply means that there is a process. God's process was that healing, salvation, would come first to the family of God, as we just said, and then go to those not yet part of the family of God. It was not a process that would stop with them. It was a process that was meant to start with them and then go forward from there. The question then is not whether Jesus was willing to bring healing and restoration. That's all that Mark's gospel shows him doing. That's why he came. The question is not whether he is willing to do that. The question is whether she would be willing to humble herself and trust that process. Even if it didn't feel like God was being good in the midst of that. Even if she didn't understand how he was working or what he was doing. Even if it seemed like she was waiting like a pet at someone's table for crumbs. In this challenge, Jesus is really asking her, which is what the whole gospel of Mark is driving us to ask, who do you say that I am? Am I God, the most holy, the most high, good, true, loving, merciful, just? Or am I not? Who do you say that I am? That's what his challenges in our life are about. Asking that question, who do you say that I am? That's the challenge. That's what's meant to draw her out, draw her into something more, more than a one-off healing, to have a soul-level healing where she has the God of the universe that she was meant to have. But what is her response to this challenge? It brings us to our final point here, the posture of faith. This woman's response to the essential question that Jesus' challenge is bringing out, who do you say that I am, is truly amazing humility and faith. I want us to see sisters in the house, young girls in the house, I want you to see this is an amazing woman of faith in Scripture. Someone that you may not expect to be an amazing woman of faith was an amazing woman of faith. 
if you, as a little girl, as a teenager, as an older woman, feel like you would not expect yourself to be an amazing woman of faith. Here is someone not expected to be an amazing woman of faith. That God gives amazing humility and faith. She didn't grow up in the church. She didn't have children's worship. She didn't have all the lessons and teachings. She didn't have the Bible. And yet God moved towards her and gave her humility and faith. She understands in this moment. Her eyes are open to see that this is a challenge meant to invite her in. So what does she say? She actually starts by answering Jesus' central question. She is smart. She gets it. That question, who do you say that I am, that this is calling out to, this challenge is about. She calls him Lord. Essentially calling him someone is what that term connotes. Someone in authority. Someone in power, someone with authority over you, someone who's in charge. In other words, she's saying she knows that this is about humility and faith. She knows what this question is about. She knows that, and humility and faith are exactly why she has come to him. This is why she's here. His question reveals that she is there for that exact purpose. Because she doesn't say, Lord, if the children eat first, then let me be a child. She just shows deep humility and suggests that even if she were only a pet in God's spiritual house, that she would have all she needed. That is incredible humility. Not to say, God, make me something different that I might have it this way. God, do something else that I might be changed like this. But to say, God, whatever you would do, I will be fine with that. That incredible humility. She even says, even the little pets eat crumbs while the children eat. What she's saying in effect is, this is the only place to eat. This is the only place that I can find the bread of life. This is where I have to eat even if I have to wait. Even if it's only crumbs. Because crumbs in this house, at this table, mean salvation. She shows that she believes Jesus alone was the place to go for life and healing, for fullness and flourishing. He had the power and he had the willingness, he had the grace to give that even to those who didn't by rights yet have the expectation that it should be theirs. She saw that it was him or no one that it was with him or nowhere at all. This is the invitation and the challenge of this text to us, that this man, Jesus, is the only place to go for saving, for healing, for renewal, for reconciliation, for faith in the entire cosmos. He alone has the power to do it. His table is the only place where it happens. He alone is that bread of life. And even the way he would bring that bread of life to us, even the way he would bring that healing to us, to this woman, to her world, to our world, to our souls, was actually another challenge in and of itself. Maybe the greatest challenge. Paul calls it a stumbling block. 
something that is difficult for us to move past, certainly a challenge, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And not for historical reasons. Many of us, and maybe contemporarily in our culture, we may doubt the historicity of Jesus. I want to suggest to you there is a much greater challenge out there to you from Scripture than simply the historicity of Jesus. If we take Jesus on his own terms, the greater challenge is that at the cross we have to set down all of our efforts to be in control. All of our efforts to help ourselves all of our efforts to do it somehow on our own. To have our rights to say yes or no. To say how much we're willing to step in and how much we're not. How much we're willing to engage and how much we are willing to pull back. All of that has to stop at the cross. All of that seeking out some other process that we like better. Where we come first, where our decisions come first and submit them instead to God taking control of the process, being broken, treated himself as unclean and sinful, as worthy of being cast out because he was representing our sin and being punished and killed in our place so that we might be made whole. That's the challenge more deeply of the cross is are you willing to say you can take control or are you not? Are we willing to let God challenge us in that way or is there some part of our lives that we want to hold back and say you don't get to control that? I'm not ready for you to control that. Will we call him Lord and humble ourselves and trust that there's nowhere else to go for what we need, even if it means that we are not in control of that process? Will we be humble like this woman who threw herself at Jesus' feet and would rather be a pet in his house than anything anywhere else? Can we say with her, I don't care what I am as long as I'm with you? Because that same sentence is exactly what the cross of Jesus Christ says to us. That Jesus didn't care what happened to him if he could be with you. He didn't care what he had to become, how low he had to go to be with you, how much he had to humble himself to save you. If it meant having less than crumbs, he would do it. If it meant having suffering instead of joy, he would do it. If it meant having exhaustion instead of rest, he would do it. If it meant having poverty instead of comfort, loneliness instead of relationship and being understood, if it meant being an outcast instead of being celebrated, if it meant being pained and shocked instead of assured and confident, if it meant being beaten and tortured instead of treated fairly and with justice, if it meant being unjustly put to death instead of being saved and having life, he would humble himself to have you back. To have you back. You not on your best day. You on the day when you don't want to believe when you don't want to listen, when you're tired. He did that to have you back. 
This is what our humility and faith responds to, the humility of Jesus Christ that would sink so low to find you there, to not care what happens to him if it meant having you. Even if you feel like you can't respond to that this morning, I'd say let that just be the starting place of your humility to just acknowledge, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know if I'm ready to respond to that. That acknowledgement in itself can be a first step because when you have reached the end of your abilities in the gospel, you have only reached the beginning of Jesus's. The end of ourselves is only the beginning of God. So in closing, I want to urge you to do two things by way of application, to be challenged and to leave the other tables. First, Really, really, let Jesus challenge you. Like he challenged this woman in an uncomfortable way where you don't set the rules, you don't set the parameters for what he gets to nudge you about, what he maybe pauses in your life, what he redirects in your life, what he is going to ask you to take different steps and different practices around because you know how much he humbled himself just to have you. You know that his challenge is coming from a place of love. You know that his challenge to be humbled is coming from his own humility that comes from a deeper, darker place than you or I have gone. And it's from there that he is walking us towards a place of light. So won't he do that for you now? If he did that for you, then. Ask yourself, where might he be challenging me right now? Right now. And how do I need to receive that challenge rather than run from it? Rather than find 16 different ways to work around it, to try harder, to put my head down, to put my heart into it more, to give it that old Christian effort one more time. How might I need just to receive his challenge? Where do I need to let Jesus push me and lean into that as actually an opportunity to come closer to him? That whatever may happen to me through this process, whatever the circumstances do, they are only going to weave me closer and closer into the community of Jesus. Where do you need to let him speak to you this morning? Is it your use of your money, your time, your words, your thoughts, and be what you allow yourself to trust him for and what you don't, what you let yourself doubt and what you won't let yourself doubt. Will you let him challenge what he'll say about you, about how he might call you good? Let him humble and challenge you because wherever you're not willing to be humbled, is where you are looking to be fed from a different table. To find what you need somewhere else. To trust a different process. So leave those other tables. Whatever you're looking for to have your needs met. To find what your heart really wants, what you're hoping for, what you're excited about. Whether that's being valuable, just being included being approved, being loved, being comfortable. 
maybe for, for peace, for some rest, like Jesus was looking for some rest, for, for that true satisfaction, for a sense of surety and confidence, for power, for control in your life in the midst of a changing world, when so many things feel out of your hands, so many things feel like they are just demanding your attention that they need fixing and you can't give to them. Leave those other tables that in the midst of those things will only require you to work for what you need if you're strong enough to get there. Those other tables that won't take you all the way there, that won't carry you there. Those other tables that will require you to be smart enough and if you're not, sorry. Those other tables that are going to require you to be determined enough, to work hard enough, to endure enough and if you can't, then we face anxiety, depression, burnout, frustration, loneliness alone. Come back to his table where it's all completely by grace. Even for you, even now, even this morning, even after yesterday, even after this last year, where even outsiders find enough. And it's all just a gift. Come to him and find rest even if that comes through challenge. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for entering into a humility that we cannot possibly understand, for suffering what we can't imagine to suffer, for, for going deeper than we could possibly go, that you might touch bottom there in a way that surpasses all of the depths that we would go through in life, that we might know however dark the path, however dark the night, however deep the trouble and the despair, you have gone deeper still and you will carry us out. We thank you for that, God, and we confess at the same time that there are so many ways that we just don't want to let go of control. We don't want to let the process be yours. We struggle with that, and you know that. So I ask that you would open our hearts to see where we are struggling to let go, where we are struggling to not have the process be ours, to not have the control in our hands. God, would you just give us, by your grace, the bread from your table that we need, which is you. And we thank you that we get to come tangibly to that table now. In your name we pray, amen.